Good morning. Our scripture passage is going to be Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him up to the upper room. All the windows, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dor- Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her in his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, she pre- he presented her alive. And it became known all throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is God, God's word. Well, good morning. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. We've moved, if you're visiting with us, or this is one of your first few times with us, we've moved the sermon closer to the front of the worship service. There's some talk that that's helpful in singing later at the end. So that's what we're going to be doing, for, at least for now. We are a forgetful people. Uh, some of you couldn't find your car keys this morning. Others of you, your wallet or purse or Bible or whatever that thing is you were supposed to bring to someone's house. And wait, what was the thing? And whose house was my shoes this morning I couldn't find uh, until I did find them eventually. But we're a forgetful people. I have three places I always put my wallet, except for when I don't. Uh, and when I don't do it in one of those three places, uh, panic ensues usually. Some of you were just getting to know people's names before we shut down, and now there's a lot of Hey, buddy, (laughs) and good to see you, friend. We're forgetful people. Jen Wilkin is an author and a women's Bible study teacher, and in her latest book, she has this quote I I want to read to you now. She says, It is not new truths we need, but old truths recently forgotten. So I'll ask the question, What old truths have you recently forgotten? What truths about God, who he is, what he does, his character and his ways have you forgotten? What truths have a lockdown and pandemic and what just feels like this nationwide depression caused you to just sort of forget? I mean, you didn't mean to. It just sort of happened. You probably don't have an answer to that question because by definition, a forgotten truth is, well, 
forgotten. But these stories here, these two stories in Acts chapter 9, I believe that through them, God is calling us to ponder anew what the almighty Lord Jesus Christ can do as we just sang a moment ago. To, so to speak, unforget um, the things that we've forgotten. To remember God's power to save. We've been going through the book of Acts over the last few weeks. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking, talking a lot about the Apostle Paul. But for the next few weeks, Paul is going to fade to the background. And the Apostle Peter, again, is going to take center stage. Now, some have called these cluster of stories, both the ones we have this morning and the ones over the next few pages and chapters in your Bible. Some have called these stories the conversion of the Apostle Peter. Not meaning necessarily a conversion to Christianity, but a conversion, the authors have written, to the implications of Christianity. I don't think that's the best way to say it. But I know why someone would say it that way. They might put it that way because when we come to chapter 11, verse 18, which we're not going to get to for a few weeks, but when we come to chapter 11, 18, chapter 11 verse 18, God will have reminded Peter of the truths of who he is with such power and such newness that the kind of knowing that Peter knows then of the, the Lord could have felt like he never knew the Lord before. In other words, Peter could have almost said that the pondering anew of what the Almighty can do was so strong that it felt like knowing the Lord for the first time, a conversion. Now, there's two specific stories we have in front of us this morning, perhaps at first glance, seem quite different. Like, why did Luke put them together like this? Why did the pastors of this church choose to put these two together this morning? But the similarities are stronger than you might have noticed just in that quick reading. First, there's the similarity in the gravity of the situation. Tragedies have taken place in both. In the first story, Peter meets a man and we meet a man named Aeneas, who we're told has been bedridden for eight years. Eight years. We were talking about this the other day. Facebook just recently reminded me of a picture from nine years ago. And I, and I looked at that picture and the memories just pounced upon me. And, and I looked at it and I thought, that feels like another lifetime ago. Like, my kids were like that tall and I've changed. We live in a new city. Eight years. It's a long time for Aeneas to be paralyzed and never run with his children as they grew up. If he had children. But what he certainly had was eight years of unemployment in that culture. And begging. Long, just long Forgotten was the joy of doing a good hard day's work. And when he's healed, <laughs> Peter tells him to get up and, and, and grab his mat and make, I think the language is make his bed. <laughs> now you and I, we can get up, we don't always do it, but we can get up and make our beds every day. But that's because we get up. He hadn't gotten up. So there's a gravity about the tragedy in the first story, but there's also a gravity about the tragedy in the second story as well. Consider the gravity of Tabitha's death. For her to have become sick and died was, of course, hard for her. 
That goes without saying. But the community was devastated. Look at how the story begins here. I'm going to read verse 36 through 38. Now there was in Joppa a disciple. Now it's significant. They refer to her as a disciple. It's a beautiful thing actually to refer to this woman as a disciple. And all that that means here in the book of Acts so early in the book. Named Tabitha. And it says she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, or Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, to Peter, saying, urging him, come to us without delay. So Peter makes what is an 11-mile journey, likely some four hours walk. And when he arrives, we read in the next verses, he's ambushed by these weeping widows. Who keep coming up to him, showing him all the garments that Tabitha had made. Look at this garment Tabitha made. And and look at this one. She made this one too, Peter. We might liken Tabitha to a director of a women's shelter. Perhaps something like Bethesda. Except in this context, under her leadership, there's, there's likely no governmental support or subsidizing to help. So who's going to run the shelter now that she's gone? Who's going to do her good works? Who's going to do her acts of charity? Her death left a hole in this community that they don't know how to fill. So a tragedy has happened. There's gravity to it. So the stories share a gravity. But there's also the similarity of result. In both stories, as the Lord enabled Peter to heal, the result in both stories is actually the same. Let me read it again here, but just skipping around verse 35, then verse 42. So we read in 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, Sharon was actually like a, if you were looking at a map, it's a coastal area around that city. When they saw him, that's Aeneas, the man who had been healed, they all turned to the Lord. Result. Going down to verse 32, and it became, excuse me, 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Result, the same. Peter pointed people to Jesus. In other words, Peter was not an itinerant apostle just traveling around making converts of Peter for Peter. I mean, Peter had rock star-like fame in this Christian community. He was a celebrity Christian pastor, apostle, or whatever that would mean then. I mean, you just think about it like, okay, they just hear, they've got this tragedy, they just hear, hey, Peter's in this other community. They urgently send people and just kind of beg, they have to plead with him, would you please come, Peter, because we know you're very busy and important. But he comes, and when he comes, he points people to Jesus. You're never too important for that. That's the only thing our importance is for. And with that truth, though, the pointing people to Jesus, we should be reminded of the first words in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke, as he begins the story that we call Acts, he calls back to his first book, which is volume 1, the story of the gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Luke, as he starts Acts, calls back to that book, and he said, in my former book, I wrote about, quote, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Implication being what? 
Acts is the continuation of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, albeit from heaven, (laughs) the throne of the universe. Indeed, Peter says, quote, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, verse 34. Not Aeneas, I heal you. Rise and make your bed. And we don't have a lot of details. I mean, these are short accounts. The next stories that Ben and David are going to be covering in the next couple weeks, we get one story told long, twice. There's a reason for that. But here these are short. We don't have a lot of details. But I think it's safe and fair to assume that a sermon must have followed each of these healings. You don't get an apostle over to your house without a sermon. Especially if there's a healing. And I think this sermon that would have been preached twice would have pointed people to the kindness and the compassion and the imminence of the Lord. The imminence just means the nearness of the Lord Jesus. Peter must have preached a sermon that spoke not only of the imminence of physical death and disease, but our spiritual death and disease. And as Jesus draws near to Aeneas and to Tabitha, so he draws near to sinners. It's what he does. Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus became like us in our humanity. And not like us in our sin. Until he did. On the cross when he caught, so to speak, our spiritual disease and died. Healing us in the process. Luke has intentionally told these stories and linked them together in such a way so that we would know that when Jesus heals physically from disease and death, people will turn to Jesus for spiritual healing of disease and death. And speaking of Jesus, these two stories, they're linked not just because of their similarity and the gravity of the situation, not just linked because of the result, the turning and pointing to Jesus, but they're also linked because they're each echoes of the ways that Jesus healed in the gospel accounts. In other words, what Jesus is doing here in Acts reminds us of what he did then in the gospels. For example, in in the story of Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 8, there's a healing of a man who had been unable to walk for years. In that case, it's 38 years. And Jesus goes to the guy and says, get up, take up your bed. John 5, 8. Which sounds almost exactly like what Peter says to Aeneas. And then in the raising of Tabitha, it reminds, it recalls, it's an echo of the raising of a 12-year-old girl in the gospel accounts who had also died. I want to read both to you just here briefly. Just just hear the differences. You don't have to flip to it. It'll come quickly. But Mark chapter 5, we read this. But he, that's Jesus, put them all out, sighed, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. So like the closest disciples who were with Jesus, they came in too. And went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. Which means, so he's, Jesus is speaking Aramaic and it gets translated into Greek, which now we have in English. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now look at how Luke tells the story here of Peter. Jesus is healing through Peter of Tabitha. Beginning in verse 40, beginning of verse 41. But Peter put them all outside. 
Sound familiar? And knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. I don't want to be too technical here, but that Tabitha, arise is one, word, one letter different from Talitha Kumi. So as Peter was speaking Aramaic, I know we have English and there was a Greek. Like the language of the day was Aramaic. Anyway, all that to say, basically the exact same words were spoken. Continuing, and she, Tabitha, opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Does that sound familiar? It's supposed to. And not only, I will say, is there the linking of the gravity of the situation, the linking of the result that people turn to the Lord, the linking of the echoes of the gospel, of the way he healed, Jesus healed in the gospels, but there's also the linking of the way that Jesus will heal one day in the future. How many paralytics were there in Lydda? How many dead widows in Joppa? We don't know. But surely there were more than were healed and more than were raised. And even the one paralytic who was healed got sick somehow and died again. And the one woman who was raised, she died again. But enough were healed and enough were raised to pour encouragement into that Christian community that their physical death was not the end of their story if they would only turn to the Lord. When Tabitha died, they called Peter. He says, go, go, go get Peter, go get Peter. I've been called to rooms where people have recently died. It comes with the job, and I, I don't begrudge that. I'm thankful for it, even. Maybe someday I'll be called to your living room. Maybe you'll be called to mine. What sermon shall we preach? As people gather. Perhaps we'll preach something like this. If you are a Christian, we'll say to those who are gathered. If you have given your sin to Jesus, given him your spiritual death and received in him spiritual life, no matter if you've been in the grave 10,000 years, one day Jesus will call your name. The good shepherd knows the names of his sheep. You're not a number to him. You're not man hours. And the way The same way Peter said, Aeneas, rise and make your bed. And Tabitha, rise. So Jesus will say to you, arise. Arise, Ron. And arise, Jeremy. And arise, Melody. I don't know, I've got to pick someone. Enter into the joy of your master. These stories and acts call us, our community, to ponder anew what the Lord Almighty has done and is doing. Now, speaking of is doing, slow down for a minute. Last year, a popular musician at a popular megachurch in California lost her young daughter. The daughter's name was Olive. It was tragic. 
And rather than burying her right away, they, the family and the church, called for prayer that she would wake up. That she would come back to life. She didn't. As we study the book of Acts, one of the things we have to keep in mind is the, what we said before and we'll say many times throughout the end, the descriptive nature of the book of Acts, like it's describing the things that happened and the prescriptive nature of the book of Acts, meaning the things that should happen and we should expect to happen again. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. In light of Olive's very highly publicized, and some of you didn't know it happened. Others of you like, oh yeah, I remember that story. I read articles about it. Um, in light of Olive's highly publicized death, and in light of probably what feels to some of you as mine and our church's more strict conservative take on the Bible, you probably expect me to say these healings in the book of Acts are descriptive. Meaning they're just what happened and not what we should expect to happen again. And they are. But I do think in their principle and in their pattern, these stories, even if not in their specifics, are prescriptive. They're the kinds of things we should long for. I'll explain. I've still never seen anybody come back to life. I think it can happen. But I have seen marriages that were dead come back to life. And I have seen adults who were abused as children find a way in their hearts to live in forgiveness in the power of the gospel. And not be consumed with bitterness and rage and destroyed by that. I've seen that. I know the names of the people, which I won't say here. And I've seen people who are spiritually dead to God, like no desire for God at all in their hearts, come alive. I've seen that regularly. And these modern healings, that I've seen, and I hope you've seen too, are not exactly the same things that happened in the book of Acts. The ones I just told you about. But still, I hope these modern stories of Jesus healing call us to ponder anew what the Lord Almighty can do and is doing today. Now, we could close our service here or close the sermon here and leave, I hope, with our hearts warm. But stay with me for a couple more minutes. Maybe three. Maybe four. Sometimes we're culpable for our own forgetfulness. Sometimes our forgetfulness is our fault. When I set my wallet on the fireplace mantle, or when I put my cell phone in the bottom of a laundry basket... (laughs) And I go crazy ransacking the house for my wallet and cell phone and car keys and laptop and running shoes and sunglasses and earbuds and whatever it is that you, the sorts of things that you lose uh, when you misplace them, which is to say you put them somewhere they shouldn't have been. Sometimes we're, we have a fault in that. Sometimes I have enough kids, they move them. 
Um, <laughs> these passages in the book of Acts are not about what we would normally call the spiritual disciplines, the study of God's word, prayer, and belonging meaningful ways to a local church, a community of believers. Prayer, study of the word, belong to a church. But they are, in a way, as we recount them to each other. They're, they're about these things. You see, if you know we are forgetful people, that in the gospel, like the gospel sort of leaks out of us from week to week, so to speak, then shouldn't we be the type of people who build in patterns, weekly patterns, daily patterns, rhythms with God and his people to counteract that? You see, if you have time to binge watch Netflix, don't tell me your life is too busy that you can't read your Bible and pray and be involved in meaningful ways in a local church. You have time. You're making choices. One of my roles as a pastor is to help people see things that feel unconnected that are actually connected. Do you feel far from the Lord? There are many reasons this could be so. Some of them are circumstances, like a, national, a worldwide pandemic, right? You get a pass. Um, chemical, biological, and a hundred other reasons. But sometimes we have a part in it. Because if we don't read our Bible, if we don't come to church, if we look at things on screens we shouldn't be looking at, if we spend more money than we make, then it's not surprising the Lord feels distant. If that's you this morning, I just want to say to you, the Lord wants to draw near to you. He wants to know you and you to know him. Through the preaching of the word, the gathering with God's people, the Lord is drawing near to you. Come. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I'll end where I began. Except this time, give the full context for that quote from Jen Wilkin. So in her latest book, In His Image, she writes this. It will be on the screen. Every word of God is true and good. But not only that, none of them ever grow stale. The practice of asking God for a fresh word, a new truth, personalized just for us, has grown more and more popular, she writes. I don't think any of us would argue that we have adored and adhered to the ancient words thoroughly enough that a request for new ones could be credible. Ouch. She continues, faced with uncertainty or difficulty or just spiritual malaise, my perception, she writes, is that it would feel better if the word were meant strictly for me and my circumstances. But, and here's the quote I read at the beginning, it is not new truths we need. We need old truths recently forgotten. It is not personal truths we need, but rather shared truth, preserved and passed down from one believing generation to the next, personalized to us in our own current day. 
And then I would just insert, often through the preaching of that word, as we gather as a local church, or study it in community. She continues, that shared truth is available within the pages of God's word to me and to all who believe. So when you are faced with uncertainty and difficulty, a pandemic, racial unrest, marriage problems that just keep rearing their ugly head or physical ailments that all the king's horses, all the king's men don't feel like they can fix. Or when you're just in a spiritual malaise, you're just down and you don't know why. It feels like the fog is so thick that God's word is a candle in the thickest fog you've ever experienced and you can't see the way forward. What you need is not new truth but likely old truth recently forgotten. And so whether you've forgotten truths or maybe you're here saying, I never knew these things. And you're hearing them and believing them for the first time this season in your life. Wherever it is, Jesus welcomes you. Jesus welcomes you by name. If you've walked away from God for a decade or just 10 days, Jesus welcomes you again. And someday, as gently as I or someone else could wake you up (laughs) from a Sunday afternoon nap, Jesus will call the Christian by name and wake you up from death. And you will enter into joy. Until that day, let us all help one another ponder anew what the Lord Almighty can do. Would you join me in prayer as we invite the worship team up for two more songs? Heavenly Father, I thank you for one of what I feel to be the distinct privileges of being a pastor week in, week out, which is this. To call people, to to, to build structures of plausibility for things that feel utterly impossible. And Lord, I just pray that through this worship service, through the singing of songs with joy, through the gathering with your people, that you would call us in fresh and new ways to believe old truths recently forgotten. And things that feel impossible, sin struggles, that feel like they'll never be fixed. You could help us to believe again that they could. And someday they will. Fill us with your joy this morning in Christ's name. Amen.